Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jeremy Roll. Thanks for being on the show again, Jeremy. Uh, Whitney, no problem. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, I'm honored to have you on the show, Jeremy, somebody that's as knowledgeable as you and willing to share. I'm very grateful for that. And I hope the listeners will go back and listen to numerous shows where, where we've done interviews with Jeremy and he's covered many topics on the, from the passive investor standpoint that it doesn't matter if you're the passive investor or if you're the operator, you need to listen to these shows. And it's 155, 302, 303, 340. And now this show, and I think you know we've got some more lined up. So I hope you are enjoying them and learning a lot. And But a little about Jeremy, he started investing in real estate in businesses in 2002, left the corporate world in 2007 to become a full-time passive cash flow investor. Is currently an investor in more than 70 opportunities across more than $1 billion worth of real estate and business assets. He's a founder and president of Roll Investment Group. Jeremy manages a group of over 1,000 investors who seek passive, managed, cash-flowing investments in real estate and businesses. He's also the co-founder of Four Investors by Investors, known as L5BI, a nonprofit organization that was launched in 2007 with the goal of facilitating networking and learning among real estate investors in the strict no-sales pitch environment. L5BI is now the largest group of public real estate investor meetings in California with over 27,000 members. So Jeremy, thank you again so much for your time. And this is a very interesting topic today. I know every listener on the on both sides of the business here, whether you're passive or active, are going to enjoy this. Great. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to it. I honestly just hope that it's helpful for whoever's listening. Yeah, I know it will be. It's going to be helpful for me as well. I enjoy this. You know, I get to ask you these questions and, but just, you know, so, I mean, we're always striving to improve our business and such a big part of this business is the investor relation piece. Yeah. I mean, it's so crucial. It's so important. We put so much emphasis on it. You know, it's like we're growing our family all the time, right? I mean, it's, you know, we're trying to treat these investors like family. And so you're going to help us to understand, you know, how that's happened, you know, how you like to see that and, you know, how you like to see operators work with you and communicate and things like that. So why don't we get started and, and we'll talk about maybe some of the reporting investors do, or, or we can even back up to other things that, that you know, or, you know, to them things that maybe operators have done that you haven't liked, or we can highlight a few of those things and we can dive into some details. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the good place to start and look, I'm going to make some generalizations on this podcast. Okay. And it, again, this is observations from me over 17 years. I'm not a financial advisor or investment advisor or accountant or attorney, anything like that. So just my perspective as an investor, where I think I'll start off with is that as an investor, I think it's important to keep in mind that when you're dealing with an operator or sponsor you want to invest in, what is it what they like to focus on the most? Think about it. They like to acquire a property and operate it well and execute on their business plan. That's what they like to do. What I have found is that in some cases and not all that the investors, as important as they are to their business, right? Because they can't acquire these large properties without investors, the less favored part of that, that they have to deal with often. Meaning that, you know, we as an investor are distracting the sponsor operator from being able to do what they like, which is acquire the property anytime they're putting into it to us. They're not acquiring the property, operating and executing on the business plan, right? So understand that even though we're in a very important piece of that business, there are occasions where we're like a distraction. They don't like dealing with us. And that's just a fact of life. And in some cases, I like to sell people. 
I'd rather make a bet on the best operator with the worst documents than the worst operator with the best documents. Okay. And that took me a really long time to get comfortable with because I came from the corporate world and I started investing in these types of opportunities in 2002. I was in the corporate world work for Disney. I was working for Disney headquarters at the time. I was used to being buttoned up. PowerPoints had to look right for presentations to whatever executive or other, you know, client we're pitching to. I have a Wharton MBA used to being buttoned up, you know, in that respect. And so what I learned very quickly here is that my main focus is who am I making a bet on? And sometimes the documents, the content of the documents is very important, but how they're presented, et cetera. So, you know, what I would tell people is we are an important piece of a sponsor's business. And it's not always the case that they put as much attention on us as, as they should maybe. But in the end of the day, like when, when an opportunity is done, you know, in my opinion, the most important thing is what is executed well. Okay. The next most important thing is, did you feel like you've got a certain level of reporting and were you able to communicate in a certain way with ease with an operator? What's so interesting about this whole topic is that I have been in multiple opportunities with multiple sponsors where we perform really, really well, overperform by a lot. And a lot of the investors, including myself, would never invest with that sponsor again just because of the communication aspect and the investors' relations aspect, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. So it is an important piece, but obviously, again, you're not going to want to reinvest with someone who has very poor performance, but has responded to your emails in 10 minutes, right? That's not helpful either. So I guess my point is try to keep an open mind as an investor and focus on Try to, to not be perfectly critical because sometimes if you're overly critical about communication or what you're getting in reporting, then you may miss out on investing with some really good sponsors who maybe just aren't the best communicators or maybe are preferring to put some other time into operating the property and you're going to miss out. Now, I am not a sponsor, so I'm not trying to defend sponsors, but I'm just pointing out what I've noticed over time and where maybe the priorities should land. And again, everyone's going to have their own line. It's not okay to have a sponsor where you're having a horrible investor relations experience. And hopefully I made that clear. But at the same time, I'd rather have someone who is like performing at 100% on execution and maybe 80 or 70% on investor relations. 20% is probably not okay, right? But I'd rather have it that way than have them be 100% on investor relations and 80 or 70% on execution, which is still probably okay, but still not optimal. So those are just some high-level thoughts that maybe some people don't think about because it's very easy to, to rush into the judging what you're getting in reporting. Is it, are you getting every single piece of data you want as an investor? You know, where's the compromise there? I just see a lot of things and I see a lot of feedback sometimes. And sometimes I feel like the investors are not focused on the right thing to get that very positive end result. I mean, we could talk about the sponsors too, and I could definitely share some information about my opinion about that. But I want to start with that because I do find that that happens a little more frequently than you might expect. So. It's kind of seeing the, the shiny object, right? We see this pretty email and we think this has got to be a great investment, but their property diligence, maybe on the operator or the property itself or the asset class, all those things. But we see this pretty, it's laid out, you know, really nice. Yes. But again, so I fully one, couldn't agree with me more on that. Again, having the worst documents with the best operator versus the best documents with the worst operator, right? At the same time, though, I would say that, you know, if you're an investor and you're getting 75% of what you like to see in a quarterly report, but not 100%, and the execution is going really well, try to do your best to recognize that, you know, seeking the 100% may be challenging because sometimes the operators are more focused on executing than on the investors. And that if you get to the point where you're willing to compromise on that, 
you may not miss out on some really good opportunities because of that. Because I do see people miss out on those situations. And I think it's unfortunate. I would say speak up as well as the passive investor. Like, you know, you've invested with so many operators, like you've seen how so many different people do these things. If you if you approached me and said, Whitney, you know, I like what you're doing or I like this report, but there's what I've seen in the past that I really like to see. I'm going to like, I'm going to do my best to have that in that next report and get you that information right then. Well, right. Except it's, it's important to recognize that if you invest $50,000 in an opportunity where they're raising three or $5 million and you're a very small percentage, it's also important to understand that you really have not much leverage. I mean, just to be totally honest, right? And so, you know, for, I would think that if I'm an investor trying to ruffle feathers and I invest $50,000 and I say, I love to see your quarterly reporting include this, this, and this. Well, what if I'm just the only person who wants to see it like that? That may not be reasonable, right? So you may be open-minded to hearing it, but then what happens if you, you know, as the operator, go and make those changes and then the other 99 people are saying, well, why do you do that? That's really not, I want to see it the other way, Right. So it's important to recognize that you may have certain needs. And that's why I'm going back to like, you may get 75% of what you want and just try to do your best to compromise because if you don't, then you may lose the opportunity to invest with some good operators as a result. But it's honestly not realistic. You've got to be honest with yourself and understand it's not realistic to get 100% of what you want some of the time because you're not going to have the leverage. And I just let's try to balance both sides and be realistic about the conversation. So I think giving input is good. But the problem comes into play where you give input and the next quarterly report comes around, you give input again. I've seen this happen. And then, you know, same input over and over and over. You're not getting the change. And then that investor is getting really frustrated because they're not getting the change without thinking about the fact maybe they're the only investor asking for it. And, you know, from a sponsor's perspective, I'm going to leave well enough alone because no one else is complaining about this point. Next thing you know, this person has tried five, six times, has had a really good execution experience and then decides never to invest with that sponsor again. That's the kind of scenario where I'm saying, if you can get yourself to 75 or 80%, look, you gotta get yourself to a certain comfort level, but if you could try to help yourself in dealing with that situation, you may do better in the long term as an investor versus maybe, you know, kind of like putting yourself in a position where you, you're not investing with some good sponsors as a result of that. So I hope I'm making sense, but I've seen this stuff happen before. No, it's good. It's good to see the bigger picture too, and how much we should expect on the reporting side and communication side versus you know how the how the assets performing and how the operators operating the property. So that's a great take, and from your perspective. So you know, how about you know, let's dive into some of that communication and some of the reporting and what and what you like to see. Yeah. So I'm going to give you my take on what I like to see. It's very subjective, and I'm going to bring up probably the most common. What I see is the most common difference of opinion that some investors have over an item. I'm actually curious to get your opinion on this because I think it'll make a good point. It's very subjective and everyone's going to have their own take. So when I invest with somebody and I've now done all this due diligence and all this work up front and then going forward, I'm monitoring things by a quarterly check and a quarter payment and a quarterly report, quarterly distribution in terms of because I'm a, I'm a lowest passive cash flow investor and that's what I'm looking for, that cash flow. For me, the, the number one metric is what was the projection and what am I getting? Right? And we talked about this in another show previous that the way that I measure whether things are going okay is as soon as I invest in something, I have a spreadsheet and I put the projected cash flows each quarter going out 10 years because I typically invest in a 10-year opportunity most commonly. And then I will check that quarterly distribution versus the payment I received. And if it's off more than 20%, I start to look into it further. If it's off less than 20%, then I'm pretty comfortable with it because you, know, you can't expect it to be perfect, right? That's projection. And I'll 
clearly the quarterly report either way and get to know what's going on, but I won't like dig into it unless it's really starting to vary from what it was supposed to be. Now, so that means that I focus on, am I hitting the cash flow as projected? Because the cash flow set my expectations. That's my opinion as far as how my expectations were set. Now, some investors actually, and some operators think that it's actually more relevant to be looking at the annual budgeted forecast and projections that are actually updated each year that are more real time by a sponsor than the previous projections, right? And I'm gonna give you a really good example that I think is reasonable, even though I think my argument is still reasonable. So uh, I invest in class many different asset classes, one of them being retail strip centers, okay? And you'll see why this is a really easy example to understand. So is it reasonable to assume and expect that a projected cash flow payment nine years from now in a smaller retail strip center where the leases may be one, three, five years in length, sometimes longer, is gonna be within that range the further you go out. It's less and less predictable the further you go out and the nature of retail strip centers is that it's not as predictable as many other asset classes. So the answer is probably not, right? You know, people close, tenants change, some tenants don't renew, um, society has different demands on retail. And so, you know, operators best guess as far as being conservative in their projections nine years out may be reasonable at year one, at time zero when you invest, but is it really reasonable to compare it nine years later? That's questionable, right? What might be more reasonable is to take a look at what's gone on over the center over the course of the past nine years and see what's budgeted for that year that has adjusted each year real time for what has occurred, right? So when tenant X left in year four and tenant Y left in year six, now we've started to adjust what the, what the projections should be. So is it more reasonable to judge the operator for that year's performance based on, you know, the profile of what it, they went to in January 1st of what they were, the hand they were dealt with on December 31st, or is it still okay to, to have that expectation that was set from nine years ago? Well, I like to think that because I live off the cash flow and the cash flow is so critical to me, I still will go back and look at what was projected because to some extent, if there's a lot of variability, it means it may not be the right asset class for me or it may have not been managed well. There's a big difference, okay? So part of what I look at, I, that's why I'm so focused on the cash flow because that cash flow may tell me, well, this hasn't really been managed well over time and that's why we're at this point right now, right? And I don't mean managed well this year, I mean managed well overall in the bigger picture. So the biggest difference of opinion that I see and what to expect in reporting is that some people think it's more relevant for investors to have a view of the budget versus actuals quarterly for a specific year. And other people think that other people tend to prefer to be able to look back at the cash flow versus expectations that were set at the beginning. I prefer to look at the cash flow. I completely understand the perspective of the budget setting. I get a little frustrated when the view is on a budget perspective, but then I have this conversation with operators all the time that you know I try to get them to switch to cash flow but a lot of them are like, well, look, it's not fair that you're judging me on the projection from nine years ago at this retail strip center. And if, you know, maybe that's reasonable of an argument. So I'm sorry I kind of went on, but it, it, I think it's the most obvious topic on the investor relations side that I hear commonly from, especially from investors. Have you ever heard about this? And what's your take on this? I have not heard many people talk about, you know, talk about it, but it's an obvious, it should be discussed, you know, like, what are you expecting? You know, if we have a projection for nine years from now, should I expect? 
expect you to hold me to that. Well, I mean, as an operator, I feel like I should be held to it. You know, I mean, I'm going to do my best to meet those projections, even if it is nine years from now. I understand so many things change through that time, and we're going to operate those properties the best that we possibly can, you know, and to meet those projections. But I mean, I feel like through our communication too, I mean, I'm going to be communicating with you to say we are doing our best to meet that that same projection, you know, even if it was eight or nine years ago. But here's another interesting thought, right? So the economy is cyclical. Right. So right. price per square foot on whatever asset class you're dealing with as far as client demand can change. I've only ever seen one operator ever build in an actual estimated timeline for a downturn where they actually decreased their rents over a certain period and then brought them back up. And their best guess to when a recession was going to happen. Everyone else just does like kind of a, across the board, you know, average annualized increase, which is probably reasonable because in some, you know, it's average, right? So in some years it's below, some years it's above. But what happens when you invest in an asset that was meant to be held for 10 years. In year three, there's a downturn. Now, if you go back to your projections, all of a sudden, you're going to be off 20% possibly, depending on how it's projected. That doesn't mean that the operator is necessarily performing badly. In fact, they could be doing a really, really good job during that downturn. All things considered relative to like the actual surrounding economy, and even performance of like properties that are in the area. But then if you're going back and judging them against the cash flow, that's a tough call. Is that really fair, right? And so maybe you can look at it and say, look, after 10 years and I average the cash flows out, that's a fair way to judge an operator. But it may be in the micro of it each year. Maybe the budget perspective is better than we were talking about. I'm not sure. I just know that when I go in, I go in with the minimum cash flow criteria. I'm dependent on the cash flow to live off of. And so I tend to be a little bit more focused on the cash flow, but I can definitely see both sides of the coin with this. So investing in so many opportunities like you have and different operators, what has that conversation been like, you know, I mean, overall, or have you had to have that conversation, you know, numerous times? Yeah, I mean, literally, I mean, I remember once that the reporting was so bad as far as like, not really sharing much detail at all that I actually grouped together with a bunch of investors who invested in the opportunity and had conference calls with the operator on recommending what to put in. And actually, they did eventually revamp it because there were enough of us that actually had the same opinion, right? So we had some leverage. Um, so I've had those conversations. I've had numerous conversations with cash flow versus budgeted for sure. And often the operator tends to have a very specific view. They make their reports like that because they have that opinion about whether cash flow or projected cash flow or budget is a better view. And they don't normally change it because they have a very specific opinion about it, which is fine. I think the most important thing to understand though, and one of the best things you can do for yourself as an investor, which a lot of investors do not do, is when you're considering an opportunity, ask the operator to send you an example of a quarterly report that they had sent out for a previous opportunity, tell them they can redact all the information if they consider it confidential, they black it out, but take a look at what they report and just take a look at their template. Because honestly, if you invest with somebody and then you're getting these reports and you're not happy with them, I mean, to an extent, you were the one that made the error investing with somebody that reports a certain way because you could have taken the step of knowing what the reporting is like and decide if that's going to meet your criteria or not. And that happens a lot, I have to say. I always ask for a sample report to understand what to expect, just to make sure it's going to hit the minimum, because usually a sponsor is working off a template, and they're going to use that across multiple properties, and they're going to use that over time. So as an investor, the number one suggestion I have is to always ask for that sample quarterly report from the past. I'm not telling you to look for this so you can understand like how another property performed. It just understand the level of detail you're going to receive and if you have a problem with it, maybe ask them some questions about whether they ever include something else. But don't move forward if you're really, really not comfortable with it. It's not worth it. Great advice. So I have not, I've never been asked that from investors. Never. 
I've never been asked for like a previous report. That blows my mind. I mean, I'm actually shocked because you have a lot of investors and... I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, for that point, I mean, I think that's great advice. Yeah, that I really don't understand how you've never been asked that because it seems so obvious because I think people aren't being fair to you if they come in and invest with you and they haven't asked you to look at a report and then they're complaining about the report after the fact. They could have just taken a look at it and decided not to invest with you, you know, not you specifically, but whoever. So yeah, that's actually pretty amazing. You know, the other thing that I see investors often don't do that kills me is background checks. And the majority of investors I talk to do not do background checks. It's critical. It's saved me a number of times. I know it's not today's topic, but that's another thing that just is not done nearly as much as I would love to see to, for people helping themselves, you know? No, great advice. I know we did cover that on another show, but it's it's definitely worth talking about again or bringing up. But I wanted to go back to that just for a second. But you're asking that operator before you've invested with them for an example report. Anything else regarding this communication subject? We're going to run out of time in just a couple of minutes and we'll have to follow up you know, and finish this conversation because it's so important. But anything else as far as that things you could ask for to just understand how this operator is going to communicate in the future before yes. you've invested. Yes. So I, I talk a lot about in general, my philosophy of trying to read between the lines as to whether it's a someone you want to make a bet on. And one way you could do that on the communication side is one of the benefits you get from asking a lot of questions during due diligence is you actually see how somebody responds. How quickly do they respond? How thorough are their responses? Um, are they answering all your questions the first time or do you have to re-ask half the questions again? You know, how available are they to get on the phone with you and actually answer some questions? Everybody's different. So I think testing that to an extent, which you would do if you do a lot of thorough due diligence, is going to give you an idea. You're going to start, to, that's a piece of the puzzle that you need to consider. It's a reading between the lines. Is this person lining up with the type of communication and the response rate and everything else that I would hope to get? And if not, can I deal with that level of frustration or not? Because again, going back to this, I would say that if you're going to get overly frustrated with someone, even if they're performing well, that's not okay. Because even if they're performing well, if their communication is at 20%, that's not the right fit for you. So that's something besides looking at the quarterly reports up front, as an example, that I think everybody should be doing and are walking away from if it's really like the wrong fit for them. Nice. Jeremy, unfortunately, we're going to be out of time, but we've barely skimmed the surface. <laughs> So, you know, I want us to really, there's so many other questions here, topics that I know the listeners have, and I want us to be able to discuss, you know, from your point of view. And and so we can all improve that communication process. That's so important. I know I put a lot of time and thought into those emails, you know, and how quickly we're responding and, and all those things. So I'd look forward to following up with this conversation and continuing it. And so, you know, tell the listeners, though, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I definitely look forward to getting out there. I know it's a lot we can discuss. So the best way to reach me and don't hesitate to reach out to me. There's any way I can help you. Honestly, my email is jroll, J-R-O-L-L at roll investments, R-O-L-L investments with an S uh, dot com. So jroll at rollinvestments.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow.
Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.